How do we segue into origin? We wouldn't segue. We would just start. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be like, hey, man. Did you ever get, when, when did you go to origin? And I'd be like, huh, well, let me tell you. 2012. 2012 was the first time you went to origin? Right? I don't know. I'm asking you. I'm thinking out loud. I mean, the answer is yes. The first time I won a regional, 2012. Who that sent you? How did it Cafe work? Imports. I won a Cafe Imports trip to origin, and we went to Costa Rica. Mm. I beat Charles Babinski in the Western Regional Barista, Southwest Regional Barista Competition. Really? Yes, sir. And Eden got third place. This uh, was at the RIT. Uh-huh. Yep. And then uh, I think Kevin got fourth. Lizzie got fifth. And I don't remember who got sixth. Somebody else. I don't even remember Charles being there at all. Yeah, he did his his presentation was on uh, pulling shots longer for his sig drinks. He was doing like this old thing where he would like show the blocks and be like, if you put them together, they're condensed flavor. If you spread them apart, they're like this. And if you spread them really far apart, they're like this. And then that was the first the first year of like the three years in a row that he pulled like 60 gram shots for a signature drink. Remember he did that for like three years in a row or more maybe? I barely remember that. But that was like the first year he did it. And then, yeah. Anyway totally makes sense the the number one judging comment on most signature drinks is lacks coffee presence right lacks coffee presence lacks coffee presence you're mixing it with a bunch of other bullshit anyway it's like oh maybe i'll just pull fucking more just pump it yeah make it longer not this guy was that the first year that people started giving away free origin trips to win to, no. to competition winners i think it was the second or third year Cause that shit, I never got that shit. No, yeah, I think it was the second year, maybe third. But either way, so it was he, a fun. It was a fun trip. We we got to swim in coffee cherries. So you're the Southwest Regional Barista Champion. Big They're moment. like, hey, you know what? Since you're a champion, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna send you to Origin. We're gonna take you to Costa Rica with all the other champions, including the world champion. Break it down, bro. What? How'd that work? Like, just how, how did it work? Yeah, I'm just kind of curious because I didn't go on that trip, obviously, because. I mean, it well, was wasn't there, but. fun, obviously. It was really fun. I think it really depends on the dynamics of the group. And our group had, it turned out to have really, really good dynamics. I did not expect it, even though we were all pretty different. So, I mean, how's it work? Okay, so there was seven champions to include the world champion, who was Raul Rodas from Guatemala. Oh, so that was his big year. And then there was all the regions. So there was Lorenzo Perkins. There was Devin Chapman. There was myself. There was, uh, there was, um, oh my gosh, Lindsay. I forget her last name from Peregrine over on the far east coast. Katie Carguillo. And oh my gosh, my dude from Madcap. Uh, Ryan Knapp. Ryan. I don't know why. That was so weird that I was blanking on his name because he's like one of my favorite people. Uh, and then Barista Magazine goes. Uh, so in that trip, it was Ken. And that was when I became friends with him. And he's like one of the funniest, best people ever. Noah from Cafe Imports was the liaison along with Piero, who was the person on site in Costa Rica. There's 36 names you won't remember. Yep. But anyways, those were all people who like had things to do with it. And so essentially what they do is they curate... Uh, like all expenses paid trip to some coffee farms to visit in this case cafe imports relationship places 
see how it works and then they give you at the end like they take you on a couple of fun things while you're there so we got like a little like a zipline trip and a whitewater rafting deal at towards the end what were some of the most mind melter moments or things that you saw that made you feel oh that's interesting oh man so for me a lot of it was i mean for costa rica for one it was i had seen the process like in video a lot and then talked about it so much the difference was how how it wasn't ubiquitous so the way that coffee is processed isn't the same everywhere even though the idea of processing essentially means you get it from this coffee cherry off a tree and you figure out how to get it from that to a green coffee bean that comes to the americas to get roasted and how they do that is completely different costa rica is amongst and probably is the most progressive in terms of environmentally friendly processing as well as at the time they were putting a shit ton into delivering um like really clean and amazing coffee they were putting a lot of money into learning about coffee so we got to go to the place where they learn about it It was called e-cafe which happens to be what they call the place in honduras too and they were developing all these like rust resistant coffees and like they were showing us all the hybrids they're making and like all this shit so that part to me was crazy and then they were going to be the second country in the world that was going to be carbon neutral and those two things were really really stand out um the other part was how much coffee was there like the whole country was coffee <laughs> at least the areas we were in like the west valley and everything so for the amount of specialty coffee coming out of there which is very little there is so much coffee like everywhere you look every hill like coffee's a big export for costa rica they don't have a military, so there was that, and then the microclimate. So I know I went through it quick, but it's like carbon neutral, a lot of development, coffee everywhere, and then the microclimates were crazy because in some areas it would feel like Tahoe, and in other areas it would feel like uh, like the rainforest. Did it rain in the middle of the day? Some. more. I mean, not where we were as much. We would go over the hills and it would rain. But in general, it was mostly tropical foggy vibes. Like somehow that probably what they'd call the Baja Reque, like really misty in certain areas. What was the weirdest shit that happened? Ugh. The thing is, is when you're with that group, there wasn't a lot of weird shit that happens because it's so protected and curated. Well, there's a couple things. I don't even believe you. No. Well, that's the thing. Costa Rica is so tourist friendly. It felt like going to Hawaii that was a little more run down. It's so weird because... That's the thing. Costa so, Rica was the last origin that I went to. Well, I can't, yeah, because it, it was, was after Honduras. Well, it was, no, it was before Honduras. Before Honduras. So the last trip. And but it was I, the last trip. I kind of felt the same way. Right. We step off the bus, and it you could feel like you're in the States. Absolutely. There was, it, was, it was just, well, I mean, not exactly, but like the airport is super nice. Then you come out, and you're like, okay you're inundated with a bunch of people like yelling at you in Spanish to try to get you to go places and eat stuff. But it's like, it doesn't feel that intimidating. I mean, we got there at like 11 at night. It was dark. So we just get picked up and they're there and you have Wi-Fi in the, the, the airport. So they pick you up and then it's like darker. There's less lights, but then you get into San Jose and they're like, yeah, it's dangerous in certain areas. Don't go to those spots, but it's not, it's not easy to find them either. You just go where tourists go. And then every morning you get up, breakfast is at the hotel you get into this tour bus with translators and all these people and the tour bus is i mean it was bougie the tour bus was stocked with water bottles and beer in a in a cold like thing like a fridge thing and you just hang out and you drink water and you drink beer and you go to awesome little mills that are 
kind of touristy. They're like the richer versions of their coffees that we've all had. Las Lajas. It's like gangster there. They put the money into it. It was younger at the time. So when you and I went back recently, it was like a really well, like they had put a lot of money back into that place. But at the time it was smaller. (sighs) That was what I think the part that was the weirdest to me is that it wasn't terribly weird. The weirdest part to me was that none of the coffee tasted good except for on the cupping table. Like the coffee they brewed you, not good. The coffee you got, not good, except for on the cupping table. And the rest of it wasn't, and this is my own fault a little bit for kind of seeing it. It was not that mind-blowing. The parts that were mind-blowing were how people interacted with the process. And that to me was interesting. Um, Some of the people on our trip, were less empathetic to the farmers and producers and they were talking really harshly about the coffee, not recognizing that it's a full year of somebody's life in this cup and you should treat it with a little bit of care in the way you talk about it. You can't just say this coffee sucks. You have to see what it is. And that was something that I automatically did. I always tasted coffee for potential. So I always, first thing I went in, I was like, oh, these are roastier samples that I'm used to at our company at Verve at the time. They're not developed properly. And then, and then I was like, well, this is easy. Fuck, dude. Find, find the best parts of this coffee because that's what we're trying to do at Origin. And I somehow inherently knew to do that right away, probably because of how much time you and I had spent in finding the best intonations of the coffees for competitions. You know, it was just like that some shit, of it, it all felt so normal to me. That shit pisses me off. The inability to cup through imperfections in the coffee makes me so mad. Me too. You're at Origin, wherever you are. You're at a cupping table with a bunch of coffee that's roasted in a barrel roaster or maybe a little hot top or maybe a little electric roaster. It's not fucking dialed in. You don't have batches of coffee to be able to dial it in. You have a small pre-ship sample. This stuff just got picked and milled, whatever. 200 grams. Throw it in, throw it out. And then you have baristas standing around this table being like, man, it seems like it's a little overdeveloped. seems like it's a little underdeveloped. And that- I didn't even score it. That to me- Disrespectful. Sends a clear signal. Not only is it disrespectful, it's a lack of understanding what the fuck we're looking for. Right. When you're cupping at Origin, you are not cupping to evaluate the roast. That is a different kind of cupping for a different place and time. You are doing exactly what you said, which is you are cupping for potential. You are cupping to see which coffees resonate with me. What coffees do I want to maybe bring in and put on our menu? Once you can taste the potential and buy the coffee, then it's on you to dial it in to reach its peak. But you're never going to have coffees that are at their peak when you're cupping them at origin roasted off weird little barrel roasters. What? Like... And that made me so mad when I saw that shit happening because that happened to me yeah. as well. I had a, a similar experience and I'm like, made me, might make me sound like a dick, but I'm like, you don't even fucking deserve to be here if you're going to be acting like that. No, I, like, I mean, that's how I felt. If you're going to be flexing your shit, basically slamming farmers right in front of them and doing your craft a disservice because you don't even understand what the fuck's going on. Like, get out of here with that shit. Absolutely. Made me so mad. Yeah. That was, I mean, so, the, you know, like that, seeing the, the discrepancy on how all the different barista champions like approached tasting coffee. Uh, and then, and then just talking about the process and that part was interesting to me as well, because like I said, except for one place that we went to, which was all touristy, no quality. Uh, and it was huge that it felt like, 
a lot of money was invested into coffee in Costa Rica. And so it wasn't, and I think that's probably why they picked those places for the, you know, the, the gringos from America to go. They're like white people friendly. Yeah. It's like, where can we take them? That's going to be really easy for everything to happen. So it's like food was easy. Drink was easy. Hotel was easy. Wi-Fi was easy. Like easy, 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 easy. Like there was nothing hard, including like it was a CrossFit open and no, I didn't do CrossFit at the time, but no, was doing CrossFit and he's all, I need to go log a workout. And we like literally went and found a CrossFit gym for him to log the workout. Like it was all like, it was not a hard trip to have. There was roads were cemented. It was, it's, I mean, it's a well put together country. I mean, the, to, to credit of Costa Rica, like no money on military equals money on everything else. Everybody is in in a good mood. Pura Vida is the thing. Like, have the have the imperial beer and pura vida and whether they the people who live there who live there actually like us or not they were all super nice super accommodating it was to me like a dream trip and that's why until i went to honduras where i had like a real soul connection uh i was like costa rica for life and i did have one soul connection it was with the aguilera brothers and we didn't get to go because their father died the trip that you and I were there. It was right. like hours before we were supposed to visit their farm. So we canceled that. But to tell the story of that, that was the most connected. We all went down, 11 brothers, big old farm, pretty great coffee. But it was the only farm where we hung out and like they made food. And we just, we actually socialized and had like a relationship sort of feeling, even though. We couldn't communicate very well. We brewed, we all brewed our coffee. They tasted it. They tasted coffee from places they'd never tasted coffee before. And we all just had a time. We played soccer. They have a soccer field. We played like a, they have like a full soccer field on the farm and we played pickup and that was with their kids and all these people. And that was the most fun and the most like true human moment because we were at somebody's house doing what they do, eating what they eat for the most part. I'm sure they'd made it nicer for us. So I, kn- I know that for people outside looking in, maybe listening to this, they're like, you're like, Oh, that was, I thought it'd be way more like mind blowing, et cetera. And it was, but my takeaways that my takeaways weren't as profound. The mind blowing part was actually going for the first time to a coffee growing region and just watching the process that I'd seen. And the, and, and really it was seeing the human beings who cared so much about it, specifically the Aguilera brothers and how that represents their life and their income. But the Aguilera brothers were the only place where I felt like it mattered the most to sell the coffee. The other places they were all taken care of. That's kind of a trip. Yeah. So I had like the totally like the most bougie one and it was supposed to be, I think it was hella fun. Cafe Imports does a a pretty good job of putting on a bougie, amazing, a bougie experience. Right. They kind of take, take care of you and they that, fully liaise in on that the aspect thing. of it it's a whole it's a real easy ride with them you know what i mean yeah i mean and, and if you're gonna go to costa rica for the most part it is an easy ride for sure at least the, the areas we went to yeah the first the first origin trip i ever took was to colombia i got invited to speak at a conference called let's talk coffee which mm. sustainable harvest used to put on i don't know if they still put it on right but i connected with <clears throat> Dave over there who was running things at the time and he's like you should come I think he saw me competing at competition he's like you should come be a part of this and basically the premise of the conference is threefold you've got roasters baristas and coffee producers 
And the aim of the conference is to basically connect the dots between all of those things, specifically people at origin versus people in consuming countries. So we can better understand what each of us need and hopefully better be able to work together to serve each other. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, I will do that. That sounds like a good idea. What do I have to do? You know, what do I, he's like, it's real easy. All you have to do, you're going to show up. You're basically going to be an advocate for the baristas there. It's going to be you, Stephen Morrissey, who was a world champion at yep. the time, and Fung Tran, who was a former United States the original, barista champion. Right? Not the second, original. It's the second. I can't remember what year. Yeah. I think Heather was the original. Okay. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. I'm in good company. Let's do this thing. You're just going to teach people how to make coffee also. I was like, cool. So they'll have translators and everything. And I'm like, this sounds fucking super fun. So we get there, fly in uh, to Medellin, and the first thing I noticed was dudes with guns. I was right. like, oh, there's people with guns around. That's kind of weird. You know, I don't know how old I was, 25, 20-something, 20 right. which was kind of a trip. But kind of along the lines to what you described is, you know, we had this huge liaison thing. You know, people picked us up from the airport. Mm. We were transported well. It, it just felt all taken care of. And we went out to... Armenia just way out in the cuts to this weird kind of villa. It wasn't on a coffee farm. Mm -hmm. It was just a random, basically picture a, a Colombian version of this huge resort. Yes. So it was super nice, super, super fancy, kind of this all-inclusive thing, which looked like you could be anywhere tropical mm -hmm. and then the weirder part was this still the dudes with guns right outside your door right there yeah <clears throat> and it was dope i had my own room it was it was mega chill and the days were really interesting so the bulk of the days were conferences where we had people speaking from both sides of the coin it was mostly green buyers and business owners you're triggering some memories that's I'm, I'm, good i'm pretty good at triggering yeah, people yeah, as yeah. we found out full trigger <laughs> full no this trigger. is good okay cool i got a few more things so you got green buyers speaking to producers and I, the one of the things i thought was really amazing is there was a row of translators in the back people with headsets on who were translating in real time taking in what people are saying in english and saying like without any delay right back in Spanish and everybody who spoke Spanish had one of those headsets in, mm, in so the like room real time. And then people who had English didn't have to have the headsets in mm -hmm. and then it would flip flop when one of the producers was talking. And I was amazed at how fast the translators could translate shit in real time. I was like, damn, that is really, really quick. Yeah. Um, so I'm just sitting in on a lot of lectures and at certain points throughout the day, we would have teaching sessions where there'd be a group of five or six producers and they'd split up into three different stations because there's three barista stations, kind of like a competition. And we would take them through the espresso process and mm -hmm. the milk steaming process and the whole thing. And the thing that surprised me the most about that trip, specifically those elements of it, is how little connection there was between the people who grow the coffee and the people who brew the coffee. Mm. And so many people in that room had no idea what happens to their coffee after they take it to the mill or after they sell it to the exporter or after it leaves their farm? It's just like, this is gone. Like, I don't even brew coffee. A lot of those people didn't even cup coffee. Yeah. They simply had a coffee farm, whether they 
bought it small, started it or inherited from their family. And all they knew was I grow this coffee and I sell it and that's it. And I get money for it. And I don't know anything about how to improve the quality. What does quality even mean? How much money could I be getting for this? Or what are people using it for on the other side of the the world, so to speak? And that was kind of a mind melter because immediately I was like, huh, this sets up a point where, you know, it seems like it's pretty easy for people to be taken advantage of systemically if they don't know what the hell's going on. Right. Also, if they're not connected with what we're trying to do with it, there's going to be insane gaps in quality. Mm -hmm. You know, they're never going to be able to meet our needs if they don't understand what we're doing with it. And it was really cool because if you see someone pour latte art with your coffee and you've never seen latte art before, like, cause you live out in the middle of, you know, so to speak nowhere and just don't have those connections. You're like, right. Whoa, this is what people do with my coffee. That's kind of crazy. And they're like really excited to pull espresso. Cause even the ones who had brewed coffee, a lot of them hadn't pulled espresso before. So to pull espresso, taste this weird ass thing. They're like, Oh my God, that's so weird. Oh, but and they like, were tripping on taste it. They, they probably hated it, but it was love just, the experience. I mean, they were happy about right. it and smiling. And then you could also see They'd their like, face, oh. which was like, Oh my God, that's yeah. kind of gross. They drink strange. this shit over there. Yeah. So that, that, part of that trip was really eye-opening to me and that was before you had as much quote unquote i'm trying to think of what year it was i was working at ritual so it's probably like 2007 six seven ish somewhere yeah. in that zone i don't know um but it was before a lot of people were claiming to do or advertising the direct trade thing right you basically had people like Stumptown and intelligentsia doing some farmer connection stuff. But other than that, a lot of even the better companies were still referring to coffee by region. Mm-hmm. Maybe you knew the name of the farm in some rare cases, but you didn't have a that was intense, fresh intense connection to it. Yeah. So you had like the Jeff Watts and the Dwayne Sorensen mm-hmm. of the world kind of blazing the trail on that stuff. And everyone else is kind of playing catch up. Right. The Cat and Cloud podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. It's delicious coffee wherever you are. You don't need a machine. There's no mess. All you have to do is add hot water. Each steep pack is individually sealed and nitrogen flushed so it stays fresh and it's got a unique immersion filter that's ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue, no staple, so there's nothing between you and your coffee experience. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable and they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on steeped coffee at steepedcoffee.com. We'll have a link in the show notes for sure. You can ask your local retail stores to start carrying Steeped or have your favorite roaster reach out and get in touch. If you want Steeped stuff full of cat and cloud goodness, you can snag that in our retail stores here in Santa Cruz and on our website worldwide. Basically, Steeped is doing their best to change the coffee industry and make your life more convenient with their pre-portion, pre-ground innovation. You remember? You helped me remember there was... So it was it's kind of secondary because we didn't work with any of these farmers specifically after this, but we did go to this place in uh, Rio Horco and we, we saw the farm. It was rad, right? We sit, we hang out and we see how they measure everything. And then they take us in the bus down to dinner. We roll into a huge gymnasium full of farmers and families all sitting down and they put us up on the front, like UN style with microphones. And they're like, Hey, they're going to ask you a bunch of questions about coffee in the United States because they want to make, produce better coffee to sell to you and they're going to ask you about trends and this that and the other 
and we essentially did like a UN panel Q and A, and that was where I realized that a lot of them are trying to produce better coffee so that their kids don't have to produce coffee. <laughs> and that was a pretty big moment for me as well. And that's why it, it's kind of secondary because after that, besides feeling intimidated me, like we're, it was, it was like hundreds, maybe two, 300 people. And we did like a really fun meal, but I felt so awkward and I was down to help, but it's like a bunch of us white folk up front. And we are, we're being honest, like this is what they're drinking in the States and here's kind of the processing methods and some of the stuff that is helpful. And, that, and, and to Cafe Imports credit, they're trying to help sell more coffee. And so that was rad. Then it was super weird for us to sit up front and get served all this food and like literally eat on a stage looking at everybody like we're kings and queens and that felt uncomfortable. At the same time, that was a really interesting an interesting time. And I don't remember a lot of the conversations and the questions that were asked, but it was just it was a lot of like, how can I make my coffee better so I can sell more? I make this much per pound right now. How can I get it up to this much so that I can send my kid to school? Uh, and that was that was pretty hard for me, honestly, because I felt really sad that this thing that I love and look up to that is so easy to access in the States and is cheap, which you were saying, like it's easy to take advantage of these people is like <laughs> making or breaking if their kids can go to school somewhere. And that was hard for me. And I didn't feel like that was how everybody else felt on the stage. Like I just, and I, I'm speaking for them, but that was my, I don't know. I'm way more, I'm like emo at times about stuff like that. And if I think rightly, I think a lot of us should be, but that was, well, that was a moment for me. I remember talking to a few people and they were like, you know, like Ryan Knapp got it. And that was also where I first saw coffee in bloom. The whole farm at Rio Horco was in bloom. So Ryan Knapp and I took like a sidewalk and it was like a really special hang time. I feel like that apprehension that you almost have or sense of, is this my place or is it not kind of ties back and other people not having it ties back to what you were talking about earlier with the cupping where it's some people are just on this thing of this coffee sucks right, right in front of them. And I think there's a difference. There is a difference between offering up facts and just state of the union, mm -hmm. i.e., this is what's happening with coffee in the States. This is what the trends are pointing towards. This is where the specialty coffee movement is going, right. where I live, which that's just information. And then... I think to bridge the gap, we probably need a liaison in between there to kind of figure out what's best for both parties and right. everybody can move forward in a way they want versus someone coming into a farm of which they know nothing about. They mm -hmm. don't have to deal with the day-to-day -day operations, looking the farmer in the eye and saying, your coffee sucks. You need to rip all this out and transplant geisha here. Right. And whether or not the geisha works well there, whether or not it tastes good, whether or not you're obligated to buy that geisha, you get to just throw out your opinion, tell them what to do and then walk away from it. And they're stuck with it. And I think that's where that gap could be bridged a little bit better. And mm -hmm. I don't have the answers to those questions. Like, I don't know what kind of variety you should grow. Like that's, I can tell you what we're expecting and what the trends are saying, sure. but I don't know what's going to work well on your farm. You're going to have to make that decision for yourself with someone who's maybe got, you know, like when we're, we talk about Ben Hameen a uh, lot absolutely. and he's definitely a, a bridge between two worlds and mm -hmm. that bridge is important. And he can let either side know when we're being a little bit ridiculous or a little bit presumptuous about what the other person needs to do. Absolutely. And I, empathy needs to be a whole 
like a whole part of the situation, but that's, I mean, I've, I've seen that in play a lot and Mm -hmm. dude, it is fucking presumptuous. It's like, you don't know what this person needs to do because you're not stuck with the mess to clean up if everything fucking goes sideways. Absolutely. And I think that's to the credit of, and it was early then, I think Cafe Imports has put a shit ton of time into making, into being those kind of like actual liaisons who are truly helpful. And that was, that was really cool to see the difference between, you know, it's like Meister, she has all this cool stuff. She threw, uh, she gave us some classes and things like that. And Meister kills it with those things. So that was, anyway, I totally hear you there. We need true advocates in those areas who are able to, essentially bridge that gap of bullshit from the American consumer who thinks they know everything and, and filter it appropriately for the, for the farmer producer and everybody in between. And that's, I think what the best people are. Your Benjamin has been fantastic with us in that. And that's why I love it and trust him. That's the other thing too. You have to be able to trust those people. It's like a lot of the producers that we work with are nervous to plant geisha because they have to spend a fair amount of money, like two months worth of pay to buy and plant geisha. And it's Plus, oftentimes I mean, illegal to get. How many years? You're, you're a couple years away from Absolutely. harvesting at that point. And it has Especially to be if you good were, if, if you it survives. Were, it has, <laughs> if you remove a certain amount of your production, you right. know, let's say you're growing Katuai or whatever, yeah. and I'm going to rip this out and put geisha right. in there. It's a... It's a dice roll. It's and you're not making the money off of the plant that's there already anymore for a yeah, couple years. Yeah, you got years. a little bit of a dead zone. Plus, yeah. with geisha becoming more and more prevalent, is it going to continue to demand the prices and the no. fame that it's associated with, or is it just you can? I can already see its allure kind of fading. It's just much more common. Yeah, I mean, you know? it is at times it will be a unique and higher uh, price point of a coffee, but it's not going to be that twenty dollars. It might be more like an eight or nine. Yeah, I think the days of when you see geisha, it's a hundred bucks a pound or a hundred bucks a bag. They're kind of falling behind. You can get geisha for reasonably reasonable prices. Yeah, comparatively. Comparatively, yeah, absolutely. You know, cool. You like to taste that. What's the yield? What Mm -hmm. kind of care does it need? Does it need more attention than if I had like a Columbia variety or something? You know, yeah, varietal. Cultivar, I guess. Cultivar. I mean, all those are going to work in their yeah, in the right, good. In here, the right place. What you're talking about. Um, but yeah, and for a lot of baristas, like it's not our call to make. No. And some of the people I've been at Origin with, it's a little bit of humbleness would go a long way. Mm-hmm. Who's like, I know what I like in coffee, but I'm not. I'm not equipped to speak on this. Yeah, my favorite know? coffee's uh, Kenyan coffee, and I don't understand why none of these Costa Rican coffees taste like Kenyan coffee. Why? Why don't they taste like that? I don't like any of these. When we were at Las Lajas, the cupping was bonkers. It was all over the place. It was all over the place. What we had, I was, if I was a green buyer at that moment, I was like, ooh, I'm kind of in paradise right now because the coffees that I think are the jam, no one else is vibing on. Uh, that was the best part. I loved it. I scored. Yeah. I was like, if we were buying coffee right now, we would pick of the litter. We would have the pick of the litter because the people were just on a different page. Yeah. And that's cool. Everyone's got their own style, but I was like, Ooh, okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I know all of our style of coffees were ours for the taking. Very, (laughs) it was fun. Very interesting. My, when we did visit farms on that first trip that I took to origin, we had a, a similar experience where the farms that we visited were, very very fancy Mm -hmm. super just 
I don't know. They looked like again. They looked like little little villas. Mm-hmm. And w- one memory that stuck out to me was at I can't remember where we were. I have pictures of it somewhere. But just this really amazing bright blue building that looked like um, almost like a really fancy mission. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go on a mission trip when you're a kid, or at least that's what we do out here. Um, and then we were walking around, walking around the farm, seeing the coffee, seeing all the cool things. We actually stayed out there for a night in these rooms. It basically had a built-in kind of hotel thing to it. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. And we walked by this group of buildings that was, it looked like a couple shacks in a row with doors completely unkempt. And inside was just bunk beds bunk beds bunk beds bunk beds bunk beds and nothing else yep and i was like what are these and they're all oh that's for the that's for our our labor the pickers that's basically for their migrant labor when they dang you know when they have heavy season those are the people who come in and work for the season that's their seasonal workforce that's where they stay and it was gnarly to see the juxtaposition between the main house and living quarters and the seasonal labors housing and i think about that a lot right now especially in the the climate that we live in and this is about as political as i'll get on this because i don't you know i don't see myself diving too much into this but with a lot of the the speak that's going on it's hard to just step back and look at the whole industry we're in and understand that our businesses are equipped basically because of ridiculously cheap cheap labor mm-hmm. and that if what we saw going on at a lot of places in origin was happening in the States. It wouldn't look too different than a lot of that migrant labor that we see where you have people in the field picking strawberries. Oh, for picking, sure. you know, absolutely. Those kinds of things like we see just down the street in Watsonville. Yeah. And it's interesting where we have this zone where we romanticize this vision of the coffee farmer that they're just this really happy person living in this beautiful tropical climate and it's all good. And all they do all day is think about how awesome coffee is and it's all hunky dory. And we don't have to look the reality in the face. It's sure that there's some people who exist like that, but just like we have here, we have some people who are very fortunate and some people who are not. And it's, it's really, really, I don't know. You can take that and run with it however you want, but it's it's interesting. I mean, we should probably tell a few more stories and not right now, but in other episodes, because I think we could tell. I mean, we told we talked about Costa Rica and we went from there to Honduras. But maybe before we go to Honduras, we can talk about you, me and Charles going to Antigua for our first time, because it's like, I mean, you remember Polcal, that freaking insane villa. Oh, and, we got Mayan ruins and, and the whole, you know what I'm saying? Like, and just even just talking through that is like, there's so much, it, it is totally similar to what you're saying. It's and, like, there's a lot of wealth in some of those areas and then there's so little and, and they purposefully didn't take us to the places with the little wealth. It took us to the places 
I mean, and the coffee's good too. Polcal is like special. People buy Polcal Guatemalan coffee and they buy, uh, not Bella Vista, uh, Santa Clara. And both of those places were like straight mega ballers. Like, yeah. Oh, I mean, we're like ride, me- we're riding around balls. on quads, doing our thing. You know, we got our lunch packed, just prime time. Just yeah, bring the beer up to the top of the mountain for us, and it's like what they do. And those experiences are amazing, and I'm super fun. And I under, I'm not, I'm less trying to make a commentary on how things are, and more trying to just promote a little bit of awareness for when I put my consumer hat on, and I look at marketing and stories that are told i feel sometimes a little bit weird especially if you've been on a trip with some people when you see pictures of someone with a producer all over their website and you know because of firsthand experience that they were there for a day Mm -hmm. and they didn't do too much and they kind of showed up for a photo op and then they have these pictures up that's like hey this is my farmer and he's super happy and Mm -hmm. It just, I don't know if, yeah. if I think there's like another level of awareness that we can, we can tap into. I don't have the answer and no, I don't no. know, you know, I, I don't know. This I mean, is, we're speaking about foreign policy in some capacity. So it's like literally impossible. Right. I mean, I mean, it's the trickle down, the trickle down just doesn't stop. And that's why it's hard for me to even comment on because it, it goes to the fucking deepest level of how we live our lives, which is. Look down right now. Look at your shoes. Right. Check on where they're made and think about who made them. Think about what it costs to make and think about what you paid for them. And then let's have this conversation. And I think the difference between something like that with shoes or footwear and apparel, you know, take a pair of Nikes sure. versus coffee and baristas is that shoe geeks our sneakerheads aren't out there saying I'm, I'm super hundred percent backing right. where these sneakers are made. And this is dope. I visited the factory and everyone's, everyone's chill, bro. It's all good. They're simply making a commentary on these look fucking tight. Yeah. I'm, this is making me I'm in the zone. They look good. And we can make that comment about taste, but as an industry, we often go over that line overreach and make claims about things that are maybe a little egregious. Yeah. I know I hear you. That was in and, and the discrepancies. It's funny because we could even so maybe charge more here, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't mean that the people who are in charge of buying the coffee, there are going to give more money to those people. They might just take it all themselves. And we have zero control over most of that. Unless we work with people who we trust, which for us, Ben, I mean, is like our number one stunner. At the same time, those you do, I do want to give in maybe the context of how we're speaking some credit because I do believe, uh, speaking of briefly mentioned Santa Clara and Guatemala, I believe that they paid higher to have those people pick higher quality coffee. And I would hope that that's also what some of our food purveyors here in the States do too, all the way down to, you know, if they make the best strawberries, hopefully they get a little more because the strawberries are the best. And there's some, there's some sort of help there. The, the discrepancy is still going to be huge no matter what and is huge i don't know if there's any way around that because there is no answer it's just, it's just like everybody has to do life differently that's a yeah again and I we don't, can't make that happen I but don't it know is an what, interesting statement i don't have anything no, or any no offering offering to fix the whole situation all i'm saying is let's be aware of what we say and how we frame things yeah 
as best we can. <laughs> just <clears throat> and then this is this is really where the um the human element connects to the to the marketing element mm-hmm. for me and uh, this is a little bit of a tangent but we can just finish on your tangent dude tangent for me is i speak so intensely about this stuff because when i look at a company when i'm looking to participate with an organization i actually want to know what that organization's about and i could go in to and i actually did this when we were setting up our misto box profile mm-hmm I was like, oh, you know, give us a snippet about what your company is about. And we put it up there. And here are some examples of what other people wrote. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Let me just look at those. Looked at a profile, looked at another profile, looked at another profile, looked at another profile. I looked at however many coffee companies profile. They all said the same thing. They all said, you know, we roast really good coffee and we source really good coffee from really good people and we're involved. Duh. And isn't that? Yeah. Like, okay, cool. That's just what. Great. You're literally telling me. That you're in the coffee industry? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so Thanks for telling us you're in the coffee industry, everyone. I think the what happens at Origin is, of course, incredibly important to what we do here. But I also encourage people to add in the other layer of, like, what are you personally about? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you believe? And then we can start to make this what feels to me like forward progress and us kind of owning our own individuality and owning our own story rather than pinning our whole story on the back of someone else. No, I think that's good. I think, and that's where you, we, we can actually just hope that companies are trying versus nailing it. Right. Cause I think the best thing is that companies are stepping in the right direction and you can see some sort of semblance of trial, even though there's trial and error, there's some sort of progress of betterment and there'll, there should be some proof in the pudding somewhere. Right somewhere somewhere it can't just be the words it can't just be like the values of the company it has to be like echoed somewhere tangibly where you could be like oh i can see that reflected there you can't just see it on the website and in the same vein that if there's something that you're not super passionate about you don't have to speak on it oh for sure which that will also be obvious if you speak on that's in the same way what I'm saying too, right? If you speak on something that you're quote unquote passionate about and you're not, that'll be pretty obvious too, because it's not going to work. At least for those people who will, it won't, it won't show up. It, it might work for up. a while, but it won't show up. It won't last. And then somebody will call you out. Call him out, Chris. Who you want to call out right now? You know who's a fucking punk? Name him. Ass. Name him. <laughs> One name. You know it's really fucking funny. Give me a name. When I got to Columbia and walked to the thing, I saw Stephen Morrissey, who was up in the World Bruce Champion. And this was an off competition year for me. And <laughs> I have this thing where when I'm in the zone with barista competition, I go in and I get into it and it's kind of all I'm doing. I'm fully locked in. Right. And when I have a year that I'm not doing it, I don't give a shit at all. Yeah. I don't watch the competition. I don't care. It is so boring to me and I just really don't care. And we sit down in these little lounge chairs with this coffee table. He's got his computers doing work and he's like, Hey, he's got this really big smile on his face. And you know, when someone's looking at you and kind of staring, like they want you to say something to them, but you're not saying it. So they just keep staring at you. I'm like, what's up, dude. He's all, did you watch my performance? What'd you think of my performance? I was like, what did I think of your performance? He's like, yeah, what'd you think? 
huge grin on his face. And I like looked at the ground for a second. I looked back up at him and I was like, I didn't even watch it, dude. And his face was just like immediately confused. And he looks at me he's like, you didn't watch it. And I was like, nah, I didn't watch it. He's like, you didn't watch it? Yeah, I didn't watch it. And he stares at me and he opens his computer and he's like, we're going to watch it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy for that. That's funny. <laughs> oh, and I always go on we, so well with Steve. We watched Morrissey. it right then, and I appreciated it so much <laughs> because, as annoying as that could be, I value his directness, and he was so proud of what he had done, rightfully so. Yeah. And he wanted to show it off. And part of it was like, I'm really proud. I want to share it. And part of it's probably ego. And I'm like, totally fine with and that. He probably respected and wanted your opinion for real. Yeah. yeah. And he's he was just straight up about it yeah. rather than beating around the bush. He's like, we're going to watch it right now. And I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. Here's the guy who's excited about shit. Fuck yeah. I can back that 100%. And that's dope. Yeah. Shout out to Stephen Morrissey. I've always had so much fun talking to him. Dude. I just really like him. Solid dude. Solid dude. Okay, bye.